0: Nate's come out with another awesome tool for the swimming community. It's called Swim Nerd Live, and it allows the data and times from your actual scoreboard to be broadcast and viewed in real time on any smart TV, phone, or other device, such as the TVs in your facility lobby, ready room, or by athletes' family members across the world. A very simple and easy-to-use necessity for any team or facility That is live streaming their meets results. You actually see the live meet timer counting up. The splits come across the screen as the swimmers touch the pads. It has all the information you're looking for event, heat, lane, name of swimmer, times and places. There are so many things you can do with this software. Swim Nerd Live turns any smart TV into a portable digital scoreboard. Hang a TV out in the hallway of the pool or on both sides of the stands. This is perfect when you have swim meets and the kids are in the gym down the hall. They've made it incredibly simple for anyone to watch. One click on any device and they're watching your swim meet live in real time. And here's the cherry on top. Swim Nerd Live also provides advertising space for you to show off your sponsors, promote your upcoming swim camp, or have your alumni just one click away from donating. This software will pay for itself. Go to swimpractice.com to learn more. All right, Chris Plum, welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you?
1: I'm great. Happy to be here, Brett.
0: Appreciate it. Well, for those that don't know you, you're the, the head coach and the CEO of Carmel Swim Club. I uh, have been for about 15 years now, I believe, right?
1: Yeah, it's hard to believe it's been that long, but uh, yeah, Uh in it's been, it's been a journey, but uh, you know, every day's different. So it keeps it fun.
0: Well, just talk to me about your journey itself. Um, how did you uh, get into this sport and how did you end up being this incredible head coach you are today?
1: <laughs> well, uh, I appreciate you saying that. I, I don't think of myself like that, you know, but um, you know, I swam in Buffalo, New York, uh-huh. um, you know, tough to watch the Bills lose this past uh, couple weeks ago. But anyways, um, you know, I swam. So we were a small club and I knew I aspired to be better, a better swimmer. Um, you know, we only swam five times a week. We didn't really do much. I mean, I worked hard. I made juniors and stuff, but you know uh, from there, I, I went to IU uh, to be in the big 10 to compete against some of the best in the, uh, in the country and in the world. And the first couple of years, it was overwhelming but uh, slowly but surely worked my way up to be an All-American swimmer, middle distance. Um, and I just fell in love with the sport. And I realized then you could like make a living uh, doing this. And I didn't really put that together before, but um, you know I fell in love with the sport and coaching. And I was like, man, I, could, I, I have a real passion for this and this is what I wanna do. So from there, it was like, you just kind of go different places that take you. and I ended up here in Carmel uh, after coaching a little bit in Miami, Florida. But uh, even in Carmel, my journey here, you know, I just went to see everybody and anybody if I could get on their pool deck. I was just so hungry to learn and just I this constant learner. and everywhere I went, I was just a sponge. you know people were talking swimming, I would butt in on conversations. I was that guy just hanging out in the back. And then, like utilizing all my contacts, you know, um, Brian Barnes was guy I swam with in Indiana. He was coaching at Auburn, and I was like, "Hey, Brian, I got to get on your pool deck." And you know, uh, I think David was just leaving then, but mm-hmm. he was like, "Richard was there, you were there," and just hearing you guys talk, I was just in awe. And watching Auburn swimmers at the time, like their attention to detail was astronomical. Like they were working on their push-offs. I was just blown away. Like here are the best in the world working on these simple things. So everywhere I went, I just tried to take in stuff and apply to a club team and, you know, just continually get better everywhere I went. And, you know, that's how I am to where I am today.
0: MA, that's awesome. I love that um, story, just in terms of being a learner and and being, uh, putting yourself in situations. I think that's a lot of coaches ask me, like, how do I how do I become a better coach? And and I always look at people like you and I say, well, that person put themselves in a situation where they could learn. They're asking the right questions. They're, they're, they're doing the right things and that's why they're successful. And so uh, it's no wonder. It's funny that you you say that in terms of what Auburn was doing in terms of, you know, just a simple skill like push-ups. I, I do clinics all around the country now and sometimes we get feedback from parents and like, my kid didn't learn anything at the clinic. I'm like, <laughs> right. we worked on things that are going to be applied for the, for the rest of their life, for, for yeah. their whole career, a simple right. thing, like a push off, everybody gets it wrong, you know? Yep. And, yep. and here we are, we're watching some of the best athletes in NCA history, working on those details for, you know, hours at a time. And that's how you get better. It's just the simple things and doing it over and over again. I actually saw, um, a, a tweet that you put out recently talking about that aspect of you know how how do you become successful I'll try and pull it up while you you try and talk to me about some of your philosophies when it comes to those things how did you develop that philosophy yourself just by watching some of the best athletes go through those processes
1: yeah I mean I think I've learned from a lot you know uh, the process is just day by day it's just you know I I just, again, any, anywhere I can learn from, I'm picking it up, whether it's Nick Staben, Bill Belichick, Mm -hmm. Phil Phil Jackson, Mm -hmm. um, Richard Quick, Brian Barnes, John Urbanchek. I mean, you just take it all in, you take it all in, and then you watch the best too. Like you just watch them do things and how quickly they pick things up. But I've kind of realized that you're just, all this sport is just a building block. Can Can you get this skill? Can you get this skill? Can you get this skill? Once you get this skill, can you do it with speed? Can you do it under pressure? Can you do it again and again and again? And like, you know, a start is a very complex movement. And to be the best, you have to do it again and again and again. And I think Brian Barnes uh, talked to me. He told the story of Caesar. And like every single day before the Olympics, Caesar was working on his dive, dive in, dive, Mm -hmm. dive, just reps and reps and reps. So I really took from David Marsh was like, man, you got to figure out how to get people reps and how to get feedback and feedback with reps. So a lot of the things I've done here at Carmel, we try to do to give instant feedback to the kids. Like I'll put a donut, like a, a ley line donut and a wiffle ball, the swim backstroke. So it's like laced on your head with a wiffle ball. And if you move your head too much, it falls off Mm. instant feedback, keep your head still. Right. So all those little things it just day after day and like you could just see these things happen year after year so it's just a slow build and process and adding the skill to do it and it take to be a master at something like if you if you study music to be a master person at guitar like a master guitarist those guys do the simple things again and again and again they know mm-hmm. their skills inside and out right if you ever watch Jerry Garcia uh, some clips of him he's just sitting in his in his um, in his truck, just practicing his, his scales. Like yeah. it's simple things over and over. So
0: mm. it's funny you say that I'm, I'm, I'm working with a master guitarist right now. So yeah. that, that <laughs> analogy works for me. <laughs> it's over there staring at me actually, but um, I found your, uh, <laughs> I found your, your um, tweet here. So, this is, I love this one. It said, it's not who wants it more. It's who can execute trained skills during a high pressure, high stress moment filled with anxiety. I mean, it's so true, yep. right? That's, that's right. so accurate. Yep. Love that. Um, I talked to one of your former athletes a lot uh, and I, and I love her. I think she's awesome. Very professional, um, great person, Amy Bilquist. So I gave yep. her a call about 30 minutes ago, just to kind of get some prep work on this and get, give me oh the boy. inside <laughs> scoop. <laughs> give me the inside scoop on Chris Plum here. But, um, you know, she mentioned a lot of things. One of them was your scientific approach as well. It's not just the psychology that you're interested in, but it is also obviously a, a scientific approach. Talk to me about, um, she, she talked about kind of six-week blocks. I'm not sure if you still do those, but like, yeah, how, yeah. how do you break up your... Um, training cycles for your high school kids?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, the, you know, for Amy, when she came here, that was kind of a different, uh, way to go about things. So it took a lot of time to get her to come around, but, um, just a tremendous person athlete, but we, you know, I, I think agreeing a great coach is the marriage of art and science. Right. And mm-hmm. like, there's the art of knowing how to coach people. And that's always going to be those interactions, but the science of this, you know, I basically got that from the science of winning, which is an Albrecht book which is interested introduced to me uh, like in 99 or 2000 and um basic idea of of the six week block is it you can make uh, adaptations very quickly in 3 to 4 weeks but to maintain in those adaptations it takes 3 to 4 me 3 to 4 more weeks or like five great weeks and then like a decycle or deload week and then you can build upon that so I always try to look at things in six week blocks and I, and I think about, you know, in the simplest terms, capacity and power capacity is the ability to, you know, I just make the simple analogy of like capacity is your gas tank mm. power is your miles per gallon. Okay. Right. And, you know, I had long talks with uh, John or Vancheck. I mean, I could tell you a story, but, um, you know, I went to the national coaches seminar and somehow I got to ride from the hotel to the airport with John and I'm just stoking it in. And then we get through, you know, all the check-ins and then I get on the other side of the gate and there he was drinking coffee and I sat down and had another two-hour conversation. <laughs> so, you know, he talked to me, uh, you know, I think he was very similar on these blocks of training and capacity and power. And I know Bob Bowman's the same way. And just these ideas, like it takes a while to build these capacities in to, you know, for your body to to maintain these um, changes that are made, these adaptations that are made. So I think it's the long-term picture and these blocks just build upon each other, right? They're season after season. Like when you go to a meet, you don't have that season's worth of training. You have years and years of built up training as well. So you can't ever forget about that. But, you know, for me, the six week block just makes sense. I, it, it allows you to, not be in such a rush to get something done you know you're, you're going to build these things over time so and i you, you know do you label your buildings. blocks yeah i mean a lot of the time it's uh it's simple like aerobic i mean a lot of it's aerobic capacity building okay um but in you know but i also think about in terms of um you know like a faucet right so you don't. If you have you have aerobic power, aerobic capacity, anaerobic power, anaerobic capacity, and then you have your uh, your short speed or your creatine phosphate system. All these systems need to be on um, a little bit throughout. You can't ever neglect any of them. Yeah. But it's just a matter how much you want to turn on. So majority of the season, the aerobic capacity one's on, and the anaerobic capacity one is on. So that capacity building is on, and then towards the end of the season you want to turn up your power and you turn down your capacity. And so I I think about in terms of like blending these things and making them work in these blocks and and never neglecting one and make sure you always have speed like that anaerobic. Mm. We do a lot of anaerobic capacity training, like the ability to, to, um, to, to build up your anaerobic is so important like you, you if you can't swim fast today you're not in the sport you're not i don't care if it's the mile or the 50 if you don't have speed you're out
0: yeah yeah 100 percent agree um <clears throat> i had some questions kind of going through my mind as you were speaking there as well um so in terms of uh, the, the block itself, it seems like it's a more traditional block that you would say, you know, you've taken, yeah. like you said, you've taken from some of the best coaches in history and blended it into something you believe in something that works for you. How do you then get high school kids to, to buy into this and have success with this? I can imagine, you know, having an athlete that's fully committed, you know, someone like a, a college student, let's say, who, who's come to college to swim, or even a professional athlete, but but a high school team and have success, the kind of success that you've had is very, very difficult. I would imagine. Talk to me about that.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think I stepped into a very unique situation here. Um, there was success in the high school team when I showed up and the the team was pretty good when I got here. But I knew if I wanted it to be great, we had to think bigger than just a high school sport or high school team. Mm. But I never wanted us to lose our identity as a high school team. Like that was an important part of who we were as part of our identity. But I wanted to enhance that. That's all I, all I said. And the, at the time, the best swimmers in Indiana were finalists at uh, the Olympic trials. Jenny Connolly, I think she was fifth. She was a Hunter backstroker mm-hmm. uh, at the time, she went to Tennessee. Um, just phenomenal swimmers but so these these ladies were swimming so well nationally and i said look they were winning high school obviously very easily and i said look all of us can get there or we can take a level there so if you we start thinking how do we be better how do we up our standard to be some of the best in the country and we got to do that in the summer like you've got to be better in the summer so when you come back in the winter all this 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 high school thing takes care of itself Mm. so we slowly try to raise the bar and expose them to the bigger and better things and then like when you do that then you start attracting other people and, and people start thinking even bigger well if that's the case how do i get to the next level you know and i know you meant we talked about amy when amy came here you know she wanted to be one of the best in the world and so that made me up my standard in our program standard uh, to get her that, to that level. And then once you do those things, it just kind of brings everybody else up with you. And you just slowly, year after year after year, continue to think bigger and bigger and bigger, but you, you keep upping your standards. So um, I don't approach the year with the high school team with trying to win a state championship. We try to approach it. How do you win a national championship? How do we put kids on uh, world junior teams or national junior teams, things like that, and the kids buy into that because they see these things. They want to be a part of it, and they've watched other people do it. And when you see it firsthand for yourself, watching other people have success, if you see them in person, you go, "Well, I see them. I can do that too." And I think that's so powerful, uh, just to see it firsthand.
0: Are there certain pillars within your uh, program that are just there, you know, so that you can? sustain the success it's obviously like if you want to have success in one year and you want to change some attitudes and you have a group of kids that are obviously talented and buy in that that's that's okay that can happen but how do you sustain that over a long period of time where you got kids coming in and out going off to college things like that there's obviously got to be those pillars right
1: yeah no i mean it's it's tough to watch uh great swimmers leave your program i mean you know uh, when Drew Kibler leaves your program, you know, uh, when Wyatt Davis and Jake Mitchell leave your program, I mean, it's tough to, you know, how do you replace them? But you know, you have a great age group program and you, you try to make everything seamless and everything connected. And we te- our, one of our big tenants here is like teaching people how to move. And, um, you know, that starts when they're eight years old, like learning how to crawl, learning how to move, um, and having a program uh, that's built from the bottom up and teaching people how to move when they're 8, 9, 10 so they can be successful when they're 15, 16, 17, 18. And, you know, everything we try to make sure is just as you step up, there's a there's the plan in place for the level of water to go up, the intensity to go up, and, and having coaches who believe in what you do. But, I mean, I know I look good because I'm a great head injury coach, Chris Boff. So he does an amazing job. He sees what I do with the athletes that we have in a high performance group. And he knows what he has to get his group ready for and the coach below him, the coach below him. So it's, it's tough, but um, you know, it's, it's just kind of who we are now too. So.
0: What are the levels of expectation then for someone that's coming into your group? Let's say, let's just talk about your group specifically. What are some of the expectation levels that they have to meet?
1: Well, I mean, I think, it's gotta be a little bit of team first attitude, right? I I, I'm a part of something bigger. Uh, I have a role to play. Uh, I expect you to have a great attitude about the sport. I expect you to love your teammates and to take care of them. I expect you to learn from mistakes. uh, in terms of the water, like we're doing, we're going to work on dry land. We're going to work on your movements. I expect you to be a, you know, look for athletes that have great coachability. Um, and I want athletes who want to strive to be better. Um, you know, to be in my group, you need to have a futures cut today. So um, it's, you know, a certain standard you have to meet. And then we, we want you to get better from there. Um, and, you know, we practice eight, nine times a week uh, doing dry land and in the water. So the pandemic has been a little bit more of a challenge, as I'm sure we all know. But uh, we, we're figuring it out.
0: Um, I, I mean, the theory of that is, is awesome, you know. When we all have athletes that buy into those things and can meet those yeah. standards, it's, it's incredible. What about the ones that um, are struggling there to, to meet some of those standards or, or pushing back from that? Like, how do you deal with those types of athletes?
1: Yeah, um, I've been very fortunate and blessed that the group is so strong, leadership is so strong, I haven't had i'm gonna say that but that hasn't (laughs) happened in a while but um honestly i think it's about about figuring out who these athletes are as a person we're trying to develop the whole person here Mm -hmm. and i think if you're coming to carmel and you're coming to be in swimming in my the high performance group with with me there's an expectation and there are demands you've got to be met and there's just a standard right and for those who aren't meeting it, we're having conversations, and but I'm talking to them about the whole person. and Is this the right fit for you? Are you sure this is something you want to be a part of? And I know you can't do that everywhere, but I think you've got to look at it and say, if a person is making a commitment to coming to the pool, they're making a commitment to being at practice. Then, then I'm going to work with them, and, and I can work with them. And but attendance is is non-negotiable. Like if you're not coming, you're not in the group. That's just that that's the given. So I don't really deal with people who don't show up to practice. Like mm-hmm. that's not not what I do. And I and I don't think, you know, I, we are fortunate where we're big enough where we can have separate groups in our in our senior groups where um you know, if people don't come to practice, they're just not a part of it and that's okay. But like I think the most important thing is like you need to come out and say who you are and what you're about first so people know. What people get in trouble is when you throw curveballs at them when you tell them well you did that you said this but you didn't do this look this is who we are and I don't want to give that up because the people who see that there are so many people that want to be a part of that 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 come here for that 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 choose to be a part of that and that's the only way you're going to get better is to show up so I think if you're showing up and have a good attitude I think you could do so many great things in this world and and in this sport
0: do you get your uh, former athletes, like, you know, Amy Bilquist, uh, Drew Kiblett, do you get them coming back to you and saying, thank you for holding me to that standard?
1: Yeah, absolutely. um You know, I think every time these athletes leave, and, and you know, they come back and they're just so grateful for the time that they spent. And some of the athletes, as, you know, I had a young lady named Alex Clark, and she swam and like, I, even it took her a year or two after her swimming, but I just spoke with her and she was like, Chris, I just want to thank you. Like, I know I was a pain in your butt when I was <laughs> swimming there, <laughs> but you know, you guys do such a good job and you were looking after me and I didn't really appreciate it then, but I do now. And like when someone athlete tells you that, it just is like mm. that, all those things make it worth it. Um, and you know, I have a great relationship with Amy and we could still talk now and I check in with her. So, um, you know, and like we went through tough times, you know, because she didn't like what I had to say or do at the very beginning. But by the end, like sure. we had such a unique relationship and I was so happy for her and all of her success. And, um, you know, I think if you just come from a place of like, I see what you're trying to say, but like, let me let's talk this through and like, let me explain. And let's give it a shot. Like, you know, yeah, you got nothing to lose here. Right. So.
0: What about in terms of the fact that you're, you're studied and you're, you're learned, you know, you're, you're put in hours and, and years into um, gaining the knowledge that you've got, how then do you transfer that to these young athletes, you know, in terms of the scientific approach, we, we talked about some science a little early, and you were throwing around some words that made sense to me, but might not make sense to a 15, 16 year old. So how do you get them to understand your philosophies, and buy into the concepts? Like, how's what's the education process there?
1: Yeah, it's a lot of education. Um, you know, especially in the beginning of the year, we'll spend a lot of time outside the water. And first I want to get to know them, uh, as a, as a person. Um, because if I can get to know them and know that I care for them as a person and they, and they feel that then we can, now we can actually have the secondary conversation of how you're going to become better and a better athlete. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's weekly conversations and education about what we're doing, why we're doing it, how we're going to do it, and um, just continual reinforcement and bombardment of this is why we're doing it. You have questions? Let, let me know. Let's talk about it. But today, you need to be need to be able to explain why you're doing it. Mm. And like, here's the reason why. And if you don't understand, let's talk about it. But if, if they can grasp the why and want to know the why, and they do, and you can explain it, then, then you're onto something. So a lot of the times, like, it's like, I explain, like I have anaerobic power and anaerobic capacity and that, and that but like, if you say, look, this is your gas tank, you want a big gas tank. Hmm. Right. And I, and I told them like last week, so we're getting ready for our real state meet, but like right now we're working on your miles per gallon. Like you want to be efficient. You want to be able to access this power quickly. You need to be able to get to it. And that's what this stuff that we're doing does. So, and just starting to explain to them in simple terms as well. Uh, But they, but at the same time, they see the results, right? They see what happens. They see people getting their, their cut times. They see, they're seeing it firsthand, the success. So they're like, okay, it's a lot easier to sell when you see other people having success.
0: Yeah. Fast swimming solves a lot of problems, doesn't it? <laughs> that's for damn sure. Yeah. Um, well, it
1: makes you a lot more believable as a coach. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's it. That's yeah. it. Uh, talk to me about your dry component then. Uh, how have you incorporated that into, to coaching high school kids? Cause I know that there's different philosophies on when you should be doing things, how you should be doing things. What's your philosophy on it? What have you incorporated into your program?
1: Yeah, well, Um, again, on our quest for knowledge and our just thirst, you know, we, um, probably 2007 or eight, we brought in uh, Vern Gambetta, Mm -hmm. um, to run our dry land and to teach us and to teach me. And I knew that was an investment at the time because I, you know, I knew I wouldn't be bringing Vern into Carmel swim club three times a year for 10 years, but I knew if I learned everything I could from him, for a certain amount of time, we would be light years ahead of everybody else. So Vern came in for a while. We learned from him. We still have a great relationship. We actually running our program, the gain Dryland program. We have our own master class once a month. We have a clinic in August or actually September. Um, so, you know, it is a huge part of what we do at its core. We're teaching people how to move. Right. And, if you're a kid growing up today, what don't you have? You don't have PE. It's virtually non-existent. So yeah. kids aren't going outside and playing a whole lot anymore. So we need to teach them how to move. We need to teach them how to run, jump, skip, crawl, hop, uh, have, go over things, go under things, learn how to squat, learn how to lunge. And if you just do these things over and over at, it, at, its, at its basic, there are six, six or seven basic human movements that we all need to be able to do. Squat, lunge, push, pull, brace, and rotate,
0: mm.
1: and probably hinge. L movements in dry land are a function of those things, weighted, non-weighted, resisted, you know, all those things. At its core, though, we're just teaching people how to move more efficiently and watch the best movers. I mean, you know, like I, I and you could probably tell me, Brett, but. I bet some of the best sprinters you've had knew, they knew how to squat. They knew how to move. They knew how to move their body. They know how to ex- use power when it's appropriate. So. Very
0: athletic people. Yeah. Very yeah. athletic. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I think we realized you can create athletes at first. I kind of scoffed at the idea of like, you can make a 50, hundred person. Like they just come along and they like through my swimming career, I was this middle distance swimmer and I, and I worked hard and I put in the volume, you did what you're told. The sprinters were always kind of off to the side. In the not hot a shower, telubs, <laughs> the shower. <laughs> and i was like oh those guys are just talented and they, they got this natural ability but if then at some point i was like no that's that's not true those those people they somehow learn how to do things and you're right you read books like um the talent code and things uh-huh. like that right and people are made obviously there are some inherited things that they have like you you know, you're either six foot seven or you're not, but yep. you can learn how to jump higher. You can learn how to move better. You can learn how to be a better sprinter. You can learn how to be a better breaststroker over time, given enough time, you can learn how to do almost anything. Right. So if I took the idea of like coming in at six, seven, eight, what do you look like when you walk in the door, Carmel, eight years old? And what do you look like at 18? Mm. That's a long enough time span for us to make an impact with you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So I like that too that you're you're looking at this from the from the you know, elementary stage of like them being young athletes, young swimmers, impressionable kids who you can then build into becoming the athlete that you desire for them once they move on to college.
1: Yeah, absolutely and that's our mindset and our attitude about it and You know, we, I mean, every athlete in our program is spending 15 minutes at least before they get in the water, doing something on land, either preparing them to get in or learning how to move better. Mm. But something on land, I mean, we are essentially land creatures first, right? So, I mean, we're upright, we walk. And so learning how to move uh, on land and you just, it's accumulation over time. It's accumulation over time. I've, in my clinics, I've said, look, if I had three months to work with anybody, I probably really wouldn't spend a whole lot of time in the weight room. It wouldn't make an impact in a three-month span. But give me three years, you have to go there. You have to go to the weight room. You have to do stuff on land to, to, in order to move better. So just extend that out. Think more globally, more connected. You know, How do we connect our bodies? Like the best athletes know how to connect their hand their shoulder and their hip and right Mm -hmm. and i I heard aaron Pearsall talk about backstroke right he always tried to like when he grabbed the water in his hand he would connect to his hip right and like a little side crunch so he he understood how to flow and move through the water and make his body connect and, and just you know you hear tidbits from the best and you're like oh okay that makes sense right and so um i think the best athletes teach us too us coaches, I mean, the best athletes taught me, Drew and Amy taught me more about coaching. I just like coaching them and watching them and telling me stuff um, than anything else.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I would have that a lot too. People would tell me all the time, oh, Brett, you're such a, an amazing sprint coach. I'm like, I've got great sprinters. They're, they're, they're teaching me things that I'm lucky just to turn up to work and watch them go because I, I get to learn, you know? And so uh, I, f- I feel very blessed in that sense as well. And and that that particular drill that you were just talking about in terms of connection from hand to hip, we were actually working on that in the gym today. It's funny how swimming has really gone from – you know, it's, it's evolved into uh, very functional movements these days that apply to the water. How can you take the movements that you're doing on land and apply them to the water?
1: Yeah. And there's so many things that we're doing. Um, we have, uh, you know, have things that I call with sets we like, and they're just in our Google sheet that we look at, but we'll do like a butterfly piece. We'll do stuff where, you know, you're, You're putting elbows on a bench and you're bent over and you're pressing your chest and coming back. So we're going to press our chest, do that on land, and then you're going to do some body dolphin and then put that into your stroke. So just this marriage of like, can you make this shape that you want to make on land? And then can you put that into the water? And you just can go back and forth with this idea is if you can't make it on land, you sure as heck aren't going to make it in the water so yeah uh in the high elbow catch too we'll do stuff high elbow catch put it in the put in the pool right just back and forth and getting athletes to think differently uh or even throw it watch the videos like watch the video do the movement on land put it in the water and just put it on repeat
0: yeah good stuff now i heard you're pretty resourceful as well i heard you ended up building your own pulley system is that right
1: (laughs) yeah yeah it had uh three or four different versions uh we built our own pulley system um so donnie brush was at iu uh and he went to work down in texas before he was at iu and down in texas with randy Mm -hmm. and so he was at carmel before i took over for him so like every three or four months he'd be like chris you need pulleys chris you need pulleys chris you need pulleys so (laughs) finally i'm like all right i gotta figure this out so the very first pulley i built we built this pulley that came off the bottom of the deep end. So I attached it to the lane hook and it came off of 12 feet of water. And so the pulleys, it goes up and down three or four times. And the kid swam across and it and it, they pulled up on them off the bottom. Hmm. That was step one. And then I saw this PVC pulley and I was like, Oh, well, we have Eagle scouts. They can build that. So we have <laughs> these Eagle scouts. <laughs> Build these pulleys, and that, those are on our pool deck. And then uh, the Destro tower came about. So mm. Chuck Destro was this uh, guy who swam at Purdue, and he had this simple, you know, tower you could move in place. And so we finally got to those. But um, we, you know, that first piece I knew they worked. So the ones that came off the bottom. I was just telling the story. Amy Bilquist, you know, she moved to Carmel from Arizona. And we had three other girls, um, and we're watching the 200 freestyle relay at Junior Nationals. And, like, Ian Murray, who's now at Dynamo, he was my uh, assistant at the time. And we're like, I would think this relay will be good, but, you know, I wasn't really going in expecting anything great. And um, first girl leads off, like, 22-7. I think Amy went in, like, 22-1, 22-2. And then Claire Adams and Veronica Birchall both were like 22. And all of a sudden, we broke the National Age Group record on the first event of the meet. And then we even went faster that night. And that was the first time we used the pulleys. And I'm like, okay, these things work. <laughs> how do we continue to make these go faster? It was like the, everyone swam great. So, um, yeah, that's, that's how the, the pulley started.
0: Resistance. Yeah. I love resistance and power Uh, in terms of the difference between coaching guys and girls. Is there a clear difference? How, how have you, I mean, early on, you were having incredible success with the girls. That's for sure. Getting them to swim super fast. uh, A great example that you just gave us. So um, have you noticed differences in the way that you coach the two? Yeah. I mean, I think,
1: I, I think people always go, the best thing I've heard was like, they're a lot more similar than they are different. So <laughs> in many ways they' you know, it's like 80 to 90%. It's the same. Mm-hmm. But uh, then I heard Bill Sweetenham say girls need to bond to battle. Boys need to battle to bond. Mm-hmm. So when there's things at time during the year, I have to recognize our differences between the boys and the girls. So with the girls, you know, the stuff that we do outside the pool, uh, I think we just create this opportunity for them to make sure that they've, they've shared enough, they've been vulnerable with each other enough. Um, where they've bonded outside the pool, then they'll go to battle with each other in the pool. And with, with the guys, it's like, we got to make sure we're doing tough stuff or things where they're getting after it. And they've, they've butted heads and they've worked hard. And then, and then that brings them together because they respect each other in that way. So um, I would say the majority of it's the same, but there are some differences. Uh, and those, that's, how I, that's how I thought about it.
0: Have you had situations where you've created separate workouts in order to build those types of environments?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, with the pandemic, <laughs> it's all the practices this year, they're in different lanes, although the practices are the same. But, um, yeah, there are days where I'm like, the girls are going to go over here and do this. And the boys are going to go over here and do this. Okay. And I think it's important. And at first there was always like, well, oh, how come they get to go do that? Or how come they get to go do that? But over time, they just kind of, it's part of your culture and it's just what we do. So, um, I, I think, I think you have to create moments where that can happen, um, And, like, they – you know, they're going to be on relays together. They're going to go – they have different goals, too, as a team. Like, there is a girls' team goal, and there's a boys' team goal, and they have to talk about them forthright and honestly with each other. And I've also – you know, we've kind of seen, too, when the boys are around, the girls won't say certain things to each other, Mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, they need moments where they're protected. And I have a a female assistant, Rhiannon Sheets, – and i'm like rihanna if you need me not to be a part of this and and she'll let me know when that happens and i won't be a part of that meeting you know and and we'll do things we need to do with the boys and stuff so um that's all that's how what we do
0: love it man Um, you're doing some incredible things has there ever been a a pull or a draw to try something different maybe go to call uh, you know college program or something like that or are you completely happy being the CEO where you are right now
1: yeah no I'm incredibly happy with where I am I love the job and what I what I do i you know certainly the offers that have come from college have been strong and and you know steady but um, you know my, I have I have two boys one's a senior one's a sophomore I certainly want to see them graduate and then beyond that I mean I think the things that we're doing here at Carmel are special. And I'm so excited for what we're about to do. Carmel high school is going to build a 50 meter pool and Mm -hmm. we're trying to build, uh, another pool for Carmel swim Club called the Carmel swim Academy. So we're going to have lots of water, uh, coming up from 2024 on. And, um, it is a special place here, although it's, I don't know, like 10 degrees. I'm not too happy about it now, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's not Orlando, but, um, yeah it's it's to me it's everything that you want in a, in a swimming community um, so I just I love the, the administration is incredibly supportive the people all uh, the community it's it's a great place to live and a great place to have a swim program
0: what about the parents side of it I know that from what I've heard from from club teams you know it's difficult challenging let's say to to deal with parents how, how what's your approach there
1: Yeah. I mean, parents are tough. Um, you know, when you're dealing with people's money and their most precious, their children, their most precious things that they have, like there are going to be emotions involved. Um, ultimately though, I think it comes down to, I just try to get parents to understand like we're all on the same page. Here are the values we're trying to teach your children. Um, and let's, let's, walk, let's work through these things. It doesn't always work like that. I've certainly had a, a fair share of people who have been upset. and um, But the one thing we've gotten to, and you, you said at the beginning, I'm the CEO. So we have a, a governance board. And that's been a big shift from a working board to a governance board. So for me, the governance board governs. They don't tell me what to do. And that a lot of the issues, I think, stem from a board or people trying to tell you what to do Um, and like for me as the ceo my job is to run i get to decide uh how we do things and the board tells you why we exist and how to work in the confines of the program. and it's just we've worked together uh in terms of over time having experienced people running your board your board chair and, and myself working together and having, you know, clear being clear about your vision and mission with your program and clear about your values and living up to those. And it's, it's, it's a tough situation you sports. It's not getting any easier. That's for sure. Um, and, and, uh, I'm always trying to figure out how to do that better, but, um, communicate, 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 uh, do what you say you're going to do. And, um, you know, explain to people. And if you don't like it, there are other programs to go to too.
0: <laughs> That's true. Now, do you, do you coach your own kids? I have
1: coached. I coached my own son. Uh, he's a sophomore. That's been uh, a unique challenge. Uh, at first, you know, when I first gave him his first tip, when he came into my group, he was like, he looked at me like, dad, why, you, like, why are you telling me that? Like, he was so upset with me. Um <laughs> uh, But over time, I'm like, listen, I said, Nick, when it comes to the pool, I'm going to coach you like I coach everybody else. And then we get in the car, I'm going to be your dad. You know, if I'm not being your dad, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say as your coach, I'm just trying to define these roles. Mm. It's like what I'm telling you, I'm going to put on this hat or this hat and just trying to be clear about what role I'm trying to play in his life. Um, Because, you know, you don't want those things to mix and obviously they do, but, um, People always said like that's going to be hard, and and I knew it would be, um, but at the same time I get to watch my son and get, bring him to the pool and have those conversations. So I'm very grateful to have that opportunity too. So while well, it does have its some um, negative parts of it, I think it, over the positive, uh, is is greater.
0: Yeah. Well, where where are you guys at now? What's happening in the program? What's what's going on right now?
1: Well, Brett, in two days, we're going for our 35th straight championship on our girls team. Mm, wow. So as everyone says, no pressure. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> is, there, is there any competition?
1: Oh, there's always competition. Um, but in terms of, you know, looking at the psych sheet, I feel pretty good about what, what's about to transpire. Okay. Um, but, you know, I, I never really look at in terms of where other people are because, every girl has their own story. And like, I want each of them to succeed and I want to learn from them and I want them to have the best meat possible. And so I try to help them. And like, we can win the meet and still have a, a terrible meet, or, you know, you can, you can get third and still have a great meet. So mm. I try not to put a whole lot of like um, worth into that. Although everyone, everybody will, but um, for me, it's like, how can I help these girls succeed and handle kind of that pressure that comes with it? Because it's no doubt that it it exists, but we try to use it in a positive way, right? It's a positive force. It helps. It's helped you get to a place where you're going to use it because you don't want to let the people around you down. Mm. So, you know, that, that's our goal there. So, and then the boys is two weeks later, and the boys will be going for, I think their seventh uh, straight high school championship. But Beyond that, you know, I, I try to, like, let's what do we need to do to win a national championship on both of these teams? Um, and thinking in those terms, I don't know if it's possible. There's so many great swimmers in this, this country. But if that's your standard, then that's the things you're thinking about. Those are the things you're talking to your athletes about. That's the direction you're moving in. So just continually set those standards high.
0: How do you, how do you win a national title in high school?
1: Yeah, they have a mythical swimming world, puts together all the best times of all the state meets and then, you know, scores it out just like they would a championship meet. So,
0: um,
1: yeah, I don't know how many girls, I mean, how many national titles we've won, but we've won our fair share and our boys have won a couple. So, Mm -hmm um and that's a big part it's exciting for our team the, the challenge is that it doesn't really come out to like august or september so you're like hey you know we're already on to the next season Oh wow, yeah um but it, that's you know i think if you can just think about okay well i'm not just competing against these kids here at the meet. i'm competing against other other teams and kids across the country you're racing
0: with a different perspective where is the state championships being held
1: uh iup auditorium so we're very blessed here in the state of indiana to have one of the best pools in the country to compete at and this year obviously a little different uh no fans in the stands yeah. um no parents know, anything nothing
0: wow and
1: the mm-hmm. kids will be sitting in the stands and they will have to figure out walking on deck and, and timing all those things so and, and they gotta different.
0: wear a mask the whole time they're in there yep uh, they gotta wear a mask and
1: mm. yeah we did our sectional meets and uh the kids were wearing masks all around and Um, you know, but the same time, I know like in the state next door, Illinois, they didn't have any of these. So we're, you know, certainly grateful for the opportunity to just to be able to
0: compete. Have they limited your numbers at all in in, in any, any way?
1: No, they, they are limiting alternates. You know, I think you can have one alternate per relay, whereas before you could bring down eight people. So just little things like that. Only one person on the pool deck at the meet. Um, little things like that just to limit it. And, you know, it's a different County we're up here and we're in Hamilton County, but Marion County where the city of Indianapolis is are a little bit more restricted. So and that's where the meet's
0: being held. Well, listen, man, um, good luck with your continuous success and, uh, and good luck with the meet. And uh, thanks for sharing today. I really appreciate it. I wanted to talk to you for a long time. This has been really um, cool, man. I, I, I've been a fan of yours for a long time from afar watching the work that you're doing and, um, I just love the fact that uh, you're taking an old school approach and putting it into a new school theory and having incredible success with it, you know, and, and it's you're, you're an innovative coach, you're a, you're a smart coach, you're a personable, like you're, you're connected to your athletes, you're, your athletes have a reverence for you, uh, respect for you, there's no doubt about that every athlete that comes out of your program. Any college coach wanted to get them, you know they were highly sought after. So, you're doing a fantastic job, man. I'm like I said, I'm just a big fan.
1: Well, thanks, Brett. I really appreciate it, and I appreciate you being on your podcast. And uh, I want you to know too i I look back upon my time. And you probably don't remember, but that week I spent at Auburn, I, I learned so much. Even watching, uh, I think you even let me coach Caesar for a couple twenty five. So, uh, <laughs> fond memories for me as well.
0: Good stuff, man. Well, listen, good luck and uh, thanks again.
1: Yep. Yeah, thanks, Brad. See you, Chris. See yeah.